0: Hi, welcome to the third episode of Electronic Quarterback. I'm here with a great old friend of mine, Jim Harris, who is an internationally renowned and best-selling author, a consultant to many companies, uh, public speaker, and uh, just generally wonderful person. So we're going to spend a few minutes with Jim today talking about the intersection of leadership and technology. And maybe just to start, Jim it'd be great just to hear what you've been up to uh, with Strategic Advantage uh, in the last little while? Well, I focus, Steve,
1: pretty much exclusively on disruptive innovation, and it's a staggering topic. Uh, Goldman Sachs has priced uh, Uber's IPO at $90 billion. And just to put that into perspective, that is more than every taxi cab company in North America added together, and you can multiply by 1.5. So, while the taxi industry collectively owns billions of dollars of assets, Uber doesn't own a single car or limo. It's valued more than all of these others combined. So that's what disruptive innovation is really all about. We're seeing companies uh, that are traditional, slow to change incumbents decimated by new entrants. So, that's the area of disruptive innovation.
0: Interesting. And you've become more involved recently with um, this concept of exponential organizations and and growth. And uh, curious to hear about that and and hear about how how technology plays in or doesn't play into some of the concepts there. Sure. So um,
1: the year I was born, 1961, you can look at compute power and doing a uh, billion calculations per second is called a gigaflop. So, one gigaflop, the year I was born, cost $153 billion, okay? Last year, it cost two cents. So, and that's so 2018 a figure (laughs) because it's going down from there. So, what that means is compute power is free and it's at the edge. So, meaning you don't have to have a data center because this smartphone of mine, you know it's a $1000 smartphone it has more raw computing power than IBM's 1997 uh, big blue that uh, or deep blue that right beat, in the phone yeah right in yeah. my phone that beat gary kasparov at chess that was a 100 million dollar project and i have this for $1000 in my head pocket at all the times now what that means is it's fundamentally changing business because, uh, are you a Star Trek fan or were you a Star uh, Trek fan? I am,
0: was, will okay. be, yes. woo So, <laughs> to all the Trekkies out there,
1: you know, you remember Universal Real-Time Translation? Well, it's here now on this. I can speak into this mm-hmm. and a uh, Chinese cab driver can hear Cantonese or Mandarin. So, yeah. he doesn't speak any English, I don't speak any Cantonese or Mandarin, and yet we can communicate as long as I have a cell signal. So we are in an era of universal real-time translation, and that's because of bandwidth. It's also because of compute power. So all of a sudden, new business models become possible. So what I mean by this is, would you agree with me that a taxi and an Uber are exactly the same in that it involves a driver and a car going from point A to point B? Yes. So the product is the same. But everything else is totally different. The experience is different. The process is different. And what, uh, you know, so many companies focus their innovation on their product, okay? But let's look at twisting business model innovation. So Uber has perfected delivering people from point A to point B using a car and an app. If we can do uh, people, could we do burgers? Mm-hmm. Is that a stretch for no, you? Can, can you imagine that? I can
0: that? say I, I have a 17-year-old boy and they have perfected getting McDonald's to my house. It's perfect. Via yep. Uber
1: Eats or Skip the Dishes. Yeah. So, <laughs> last year Uber Eats did $6 billion a business. So if I'm focused on business model innovation, not just product innovation, I can twist my model and now do $6 billion of business in food delivery. Could you imagine Uber liquor? Like, if we can deliver people burger, what about liquor, eh? Like, that's going to be a popular service. What about Uber CBD? In Northern Ontario. In Northern Ontario, yeah, eh? Where all the Bob and Doug McKenzie live. So there could be a billion-dollar business. How about if we can do people, if we can do burgers, if we can do liquor, could you imagine manila envelopes and banker's boxes? Let's call that Uber courier. How about Uber, two guys in a moving van at the end of the month? So if I'm focused on business model innovation as opposed to product innovation, mm-hmm. I can begin changing and disrupting all sorts of markets.
0: Interesting. I would say one thing that with the Ubers though, that the product itself actually tends to be a little more pleasant as well, compared to sort of a lifetime of experience in, in cabs. But but you're right, that is the fundamental change there, is, is, is in the service delivery model.
1: So, it, to that point, that's fascinating. If you look at what has Uber done to make it such a pleasant experience, you rate the driver. Yeah. And if a driver gets bad ratings, yeah. they can't drive for Uber anymore. Yeah. So when I get into an Uber or a Lyft, the guy says, would you like a bottle of water? Mm-hmm. You know, is it too hot? Is it too cold? Should, would you like music or should I turn it off? You know, like I never get this from a cab driver. Yeah, yeah. So the whole system, they have designed the system to orient itself towards good customer service. And you you might not realize it, but you get rated as a passenger. So if they pick me up after clubbing, at you know 3 a.m. on a Saturday night, and I puke in the car, I get a terrible rating, and other <laughs> drivers will have the chance They're not less to, inclined pick, me to up. pick you up
0: exactly. Yeah, what uh, so what, what about for smaller companies then? Because you know, I think that for me, I mean, I, I, I run a smaller company and I think of things like Uber, Airbnb, these assetless monstrous companies. And I, and I agree with all your points, but what about for smaller companies? Do you think they have the same opportunity to think this way uh, as larger companies? Well, first off, absolutely. And
1: 65% of employment in North America is in the SME market. Mm-hmm. In fact, large companies have been the largest net job losers. So, large companies are very bureaucratic typically, they're Mm. slow to innovate. So I believe the froth of innovation is actually in the SME market. And in fact, uh, I'm working with colleagues who are around exponential organizations who are working to try and help these large, slow to innovate uh, organizations, typically Mm. incumbents, Mm -hmm. uh, move at the speed of the internet. So how Mm -hmm. do we help them? But I think actually the SME market has the advantage here because Mm -hmm. you're not beholden to these bureaucratic processes. You can Mm -hmm. innovate. Uh, Entrepreneurs typically (laughs) like the SME market, like they enjoy the autonomy, the freedom, Mm -hmm. the ability to pivot quickly.
0: Yeah, what what about um, just the type of, you work with a lot of CEOs and you've worked with CEOs for years and years. What are you seeing in terms of the type of leaders today Versus, let's say, 20 years ago, even 25, 30 years ago, um, in today's environment with information, with all the information that is available to a CEO, all of the bottom-up feedback coming from staff and shareholders, uh, have you seen a different type of a leader emerge in the past? Well, recent while, let's say.
1: Well. I'm going to twist your question a little bit, Steve, because I work with CEOs all, all the time and I, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. So who's closest to the future? The 65-year-old CEO who has his assistant print off all his emails or the 18-year-old who's on Tinder? Mm-hmm. Who's closest to the future?
0: Well, it's a loaded question, but I would say <laughs> the 18-year-old person. That's okay. Right. okay.
1: <laughs> who does all the strategic planning?
0: The, the 65-year-old.
1: You know, who's most disenfranchised from the
0: strategic planning? The 18-year-old.
1: Is it any wonder that large organizations They're... only get incremental change? So how do we actually change yeah. the systems and structures in our organization so that we either have reverse mentoring? So when he was CEO of General Electric, Jack Welsh was rated the best CEO by his peer CEOs, but mm-hmm. he knew nothing about the internet. Mm-hmm. So he had some twenty somethings, some thirty somethings who came in every week and mentored him on the internet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's called reverse mentoring. You know, we think mentoring is from the gray hairs, or in your in my case, mm-hmm. the no hairs. <laughs> Sharing our it's wisdom. Coming up
0: a lot today. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: Sharing our wisdom with the young ones. Yeah. But the young ones actually have some wisdom to share with us. Now it's not neither or technical competence can't be confused with deep, deep business wisdom. It's yeah. a discussion. So what systemic structures exist in your workplace to ensure mm-hmm. that the millennials are reverse mentoring mm-hmm. the C-suite? Do you have a shadow board? you have an executive committee that makes all the decisions? Do you have a shadow uh, executive committee of millennials? Yeah. You're thinking, so I'll give you one example. It's a great idea, actually, yeah. I was uh, working out with uh, a group of CEOs in Kananaskis out by Alberta, and uh, they had me back-to-back years. So a year ago, I presented this year. So I go back this year, and one of the CEOs said, you know, you were exhorting me to go to some other things like Singularity U or TED or Idea City, and I did. And it opened my eyes to all this uh, (laughs) stuff, and I was going (laughs) to expand into the U.S., And I thought of your Airbnb example, and the way I would have expanded uh, two years ago was by doing a design build of a $15 million building. But I remembered what you'd exhorted me to do, to think differently. And so I went and I found a company that had just built a brand new facility with uh, excess capacity for them to grow into that they're not going to be able to use for three years. And I've rented it for three years for pennies on the dollar. So it has saved me a capital cost of $15 million, which means I'm cash flow positive from day one, my expansion into the US, and I am profitable from day one. In other words, so then I said to him, so you're coming to the conference last year and listening to me was worth 15 million dollars <laughs> and he says yes
0: <laughs> And so, you only take 10 percent of that <laughs> i took nothing.
1: I took, nothing I took nothing
0: i got to work on my business model steve i really do <laughs> disrupt your own service model exactly um, well listen jim that's all the time we have today uh wonderful thoughts And uh, great to get to spend some time with you. And uh, continued good luck with Strategic Advantage and all the other uh, great stuff that you're doing. Thanks. And uh, congratulations on Blue Rush. I I love what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's very exciting. Thank you for watching this episode of Electronic Quarterback. Don't forget to rate, review, and, of course, subscribe to our podcast. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks very much.